Hi, I'm Rob Shear. I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, author of the book, A Forever Family, but most importantly, I'm the father of five children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a radio host and now the director of communications for Comfort Cases. Our country's foster care system is shattered, and the podcast is about how we, as a community, can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. Today, we are talking to Galen Elmore. He spent 10 of his first 12 years of life in foster care and was reunited with his biological dad when he was 12, then taken away from him again at the age of 16. Galen then moved in with his high school football coach, who became his guardian. He graduated high school, earned a scholarship to play football in college, and eventually made it to the NFL. He retired from the NFL in his first year for a number of reasons, one of them being he wanted to help youth who have a similar story. Thank you for being on the podcast, Galen. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. So, Galen, I will have to tell you that your story resonates with me in so many levels. You know, I have a a son who is 19, and he arrived in our home um, as a senior in high school. Um, bouncing back and forth into the system. I was also that kid who bounced, you know, in the system and became homeless when I was 18. Um, having kids, my other four children all from the system. But then, you know, I'm so excited that I can call Leanne Tui, my friend. And your story is very similar to Michael's story um, from the blind side. Um, do you happen to know mm-hmm. Michael? I haven't met him before. Um, there's so many times throughout my like life and as people became aware of my story that they it was right when the blind side was a big deal and and people um really tried to draw comparisons in that and so i always took it as a compliment because because michael was a super resilient person and his story is amazing as a lot of people know and so um unfortunately i haven't been able to meet him even though we've we i know we know multiple uh we have common acquaintances and friends and things like that just being in the same world for a little bit well you know one of the things i love about his story is that there was someone in his community who realized that he needed to know that he was important and that's where leanne and her family came in and and i to hear your story where your coach um stepped up first of all i want to i want to fall all the way back, my friend, to when you came into the system. So for the first 12 years of your life, um, you were actually in foster care. How many homes were you in? I stayed in over 25 different homes uh, during my time in foster care. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Rob and I are just like, wow. Not much shocks us when it comes to hearing people's foster care story and how many homes, but that's... wow. I like literally my mouth just if if we were on video, they would be like, close your mouth, Rob. Um, (laughs) Wow. 25 homes. I mean, most of them came in the first two years, two, three years of me being in foster care. And Um, how how old were you? When I say the first two, three years, I meant like um, the ones that I stayed consecutively for two to three years. So the first time I went into foster care, I was taking from my parents to 10 months. Um, I had two older sisters that were living with me and my parents at the time and they were taken as well. Um, but I was taking that 10 months. And so for the, until I was about three, we bounced 
from foster care to home, like with our parents, back to foster care. And it just happened for a long period of time until when I was four, when we were taken, I was, then I was taken basically for good until I was 12 or 13 years old. Wow. And you ended up being reunited with your dad. Yeah. When, and that, that's a whole crazy story in itself. It was the most unplanned and, um, just random thing ever. It was just a weekend visit. And then they're like, all right, we're not coming to pick you up. We'll bring your stuff on Monday. So it was the most anticlimactic way to get out of foster care. Um, so yeah, that was, it's, there's so many of those stories of just my experience with the system and how they operated that I look back on now. And I'm just like, there's no way that if we're looking at the best interests of the youth that's in foster care, that that's the way we should conduct ourselves. Wait, and so, wait, uh, hold on. I got to cut you off there for a minute. Cause when have we ever, ever, ever thought that we are supposed to have the best interests of the child. This is an industry that makes money on the backs of children. Um, yeah. And I'm a very, very loud spokesperson when it comes to, I think the system is shattered. And I think the system is doing exactly what it's supposed to do, which is to tear families apart and to keep the underprivileged down as low as they possibly can. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, for you to be dropped off at your father's on a Friday and then be told, okay, now you're going to live with this stranger. And by the way, he was a stranger. Um, legitimately a stranger, yeah. Yeah, legitimately a stranger. And that's the thing that I it blows my mind. I mean, we are sitting here in 2020. I entered the system in 1979 um, or 77. 77. I entered the system in 77. And it literally hasn't changed at all. At all. Mm-hmm. You know, so do you do you still have contact with your bio dad? Yeah, uh, him and my my mom as well. Um, they're they're the only people that I've ever called mom or dad, and I made a specific effort to do that. Although uh, there's ways that they didn't step up to the plate, um, I recognize that like they're still my parents, and they did what they could. Um, and I'm not giving them like we we've dealt with. So much, but again, there's so much that we still haven't that's untalked about. And so, um, I thought one little thing I could do was uh, just make an effort to to show them that they're still my mom and dad, whether they're like providing for me or I'm living with them or, or not. So, yeah, um, we still talk. They actually live in Tennessee, um, where my sis, two sisters and uh, one of my sisters or one of my sisters has five kids, and so they're all in Tennessee, and we occasionally go visit and spend time with them. Wow. So I I believe forgiveness is, is a key to everybody's success. I, I'm trying to figure out, though, um, my friend, that, you know, you look at the statistics of kids, you know, only 54% graduate from high school, only 11% actually apply to college, only 3% get a college education. We know that 70% of all the kids who age out of the system, which roughly I think there, there's been so many different numbers thrown around, I don't even think they truly mm-hmm. know. But we do know that 70% of them will become homeless within two years. Where did you find the grit Um to not be a part of one of those statistics. Yeah, I and again, I think part of it does go back to my my parents. Like my parents were we were taken away from them because they were addicts, but um so they were they had substance abuse problems and they were alcoholics. And so 
but my parents are one are two of the most intelligent people I believe I've met. Um, so they were super high functioning addicts. And so, um, they're like, we would do, they would do everything necessary for us in the day. Uh, but then they would just live their life at night. And, and that's the kind of, um, the duality of just who my parents were, but being the youngest sibling, my dad, um, when my sisters used to come home from school, my dad would make me do their homework with them. And he would, he really instilled in me at a very early age, the importance of education. Um, and I think that just, um, continued to grow everywhere that I went. And I was fortunate enough to be put into, um, when I was in foster care, that one home that I stayed at from when I was six to 12, um, we were a lot, we were basically put into a Montessori school. Um, and if you're familiar with that, if you're not familiar with that, a Montessori school is a different way of learning. Um, it's their method. Their method is uh, every student gets to move at their own pace, whether you're super fast and expedient, or if you're a slower learner and you just need more help. And so it's super individualized and you get to move at your own pace. And when I got there, <clears throat> it just, it was this utopia to me. I was just able to learn and grow and do all these things. And I was a super competitive person. And so like that, trickled over into my education and I was just able to to blossom there as a student and I think that was a part that really uh, again I was blessed to be able to be put into a Montessori school only because I was in the system that's the only way I was able to go to a school like that um and so I frequently tell people that's the that's the only thing the system has ever done for me was put me into a Montessori school um and that had a big impact on my educationally uh and as far as like my resilience and grit as well so tell me a little bit about your siblings. You're, you said you were the youngest? So I have, I have five siblings. Um, my three oldest siblings are on my dad's side. Two other sisters that I grew up with are on my mom's side, but they know my dad is dad, so my dad isn't their biological father, but he raised them. Uh, and so I'm the only child that my parents had together. Um, and... My parents had me when they were 36 and 37, and so I was a pretty late addition. Um, but yeah, so I, my oldest sibling is 41 years old. Um, my youngest sibling is four years older than I am, so she's 29 now. Did they all, and so all of them ended up in the system as well? Well, no, actually, my oldest three um, on my dad's side were with their mom. And so, um, so my oldest two siblings have the same mom and dad. Um, my other brother on my dad's side has a different mom. And then, so they, those three ended up growing up with their mom. Uh, but then me and my other two sisters were with my mom and dad. And so we got put into the system. Wow. Wow. So tell me about you now. So now, you know, you, you, you go and you live with your football coach. Um, you graduate from high school. Congratulations. You go to college. You. you get a NFL contract. You mm-hmm. play for the NFL. And then, as I read, you actually were injured as well. Yeah, so I was I was injured right before. Um, so my junior year, which is my last year at the University of Minnesota, um, where I graduated there in three years. And so um, my third year, my junior year was actually my best year I've ever played football. It was like the most unbelievable year. Um, I had 
um, I had agents and people reaching out to me wanting me to enter to enter the draft early. And I was really considering it. Um, just the financial aspect, taking care of my family, um, and being able to, to have that financial security. Um, but then the last game of the season, second to last game of the season, I tore my shoulder. Um, and basically that threw that whole option out of the window or that went out the door, uh, cause I had to rehab and it was going to take six months and then I just wasn't going to be ready for the draft process and it didn't make sense. And so, um, I ended up staying for a year, but, uh, since I graduated, I went to North Carolina, um, to start my master's and play my last year of football. Um, and then I ended up after that, my last year of eligibility, got the opportunity to, uh, sign a contract with Cincinnati Bengals. And so going from my junior year of hoping to be drafted to my senior year, not having as good of a year and not being draft drafted, I had to uh, sign a contract and, um, as a free agent and I did. And then I got there and like it, the NFL is something I idolized and dreamed of since I was in Pampers. Um, there's stories my parents and siblings tell me about things I would say about being in the NFL, and that's just my dream. That was me as a as a baby, and I don't remember those things, but um, that was my dream. And I really think that while being in the foster care, like while being in foster care, that dream of the NFL ended up becoming this thing of attaining that would save me from all the issues that foster care brought me. And um, there was so much growth and, and healing that I had to do over the over the years, especially while in college. Um, but once I got there, it was just it was this overwhelming feeling of like this isn't going to solve my problem. And just the person that uh, what it was requiring of me to be there was so much more demanding than what I felt like I would get out of, which was money. Was it was so much more demanding than what I thought I was going to get out of it. And I just felt myself going into a downward spiral and going back into just uh, mental places that I hadn't been in decades. And um, it just, it had such a toll on me and it was, it was really like kind of depressing and disappointing because it's something that I worked for, for my entire life. And I got there and it wasn't even remotely what I anticipated it to be. It and didn't. So, it, it's almost like it didn't fulfill you, and it didn't fill that void of that hurt and all those things that you needed to heal from. Yeah, it didn't at all. And it, um, if anything, I felt like after being there, I felt like it was going to continue to like perpetuate the things that I was trying to to get rid of. Um, just the lifestyle and um, just the people you come in contact with, and and so I have um, I've been diagnosed with attachment disorder. And so, um, just like being in the NFL, even, um, with that experience of not being able to form deep and meaningful relationships. And then on top of it, you have someone who like people come with their agendas because you're a professional athlete. And so like, just like serious, like mental issues of not wanting to trust anyone or like, and so it was, I was super lonely and I was in a place where I'd never um, never been before with, on a team with a bunch of guys I have no relationship with coaches who like they have a like the NFL is a business they have a job to do and so I'm another number and all these things just played on my mental health and 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 I was in an, I was not in a good place spiritually and just felt all these things just declining at a, such a fast rate um, 
and I, I still love the game of football. I, I love it to death, but um, it was not go- it was not the answer for me. And so I respect everyone who does that, who is there, um, but it was not going to be the the answer for me. And I it took some soul searching to to be able to make the decision to walk away. Um, and it it really just took. It was during um we had a break in the middle of the or towards the end of the summer, and I was able to come home. And I just got really great time with with uh, some people and friends that I've felt I had built really good relationships with. Um, and there was just a process of me like really uh, emotionally like going through everything and healing with with them, but also realizing like the NFL is not is not where I'm supposed to be, at least not right now. And so um, before I went back, I ended up calling my coaches and letting them know that I wasn't going to be playing football anymore. Wow. Wow. I have to tell you something. Listening to you talk and tell your story, you are such an amazing human. Um, You know, I, as someone who, you know, didn't spend my life in, in, you know, what they consider as a public figure now, and all of a sudden having that thrown at me, um, I do see a lot of the bad. And I totally get what you're mm-hmm. talking about, where, you know, there are so many people out there that are looking to do the wrong thing. Um, and it's normally all yeah. about the dollar. And, you know, for me, I was a banker. I was, you know, I, I was high as I could get in my company. Um, I was mm-hmm. pulling in six figures with no issues whatsoever. My kids were living the life of, you know, but I gave that all up because I just felt like, you know, I had to have more of a purpose within my life. And I hear that coming from you. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, what I, what, what I, you know, like to know is what do you want to do now? My day job, I currently work for a Christian nonprofit where we work with disadvantaged youth. Um, And so that, that was really important to me to really get if I wasn't going to be playing NFL in the NFL to get back in the community that I care about and, and invest like with my time and my energy and my, my um, just knowledge and experiences. And so that's what I do right now. Um, but I also do speaking and things like that just to, as there's, and I, I know, you know, this as a speaker, uh, Rob, like there's not enough people out there that have experienced what foster care is like talking to those that have an opportunity to change it. Yeah. And um, so that's that's what I want to do. I want to make a difference in the lives of, of people who, um, when I was in their shoes, I wanted someone to make a difference in my life. And so, um, yeah, that's my, I just want to, I just want to help. I want to, um, I, I deeply care about people. And, uh, and there's studies out there that show um, just the rate of the ability to, be empathetic of people who uh, from people who were in foster care, and that's just such part of the core of who I am. Um, I really like have a heart and care for people who um, really can't do anything about their situation, and and I want to do anything possible to help. And um, yeah, and that right now, how I do that is with my time sharing my story. We love it. It's amazing. And what you said about the people who were in foster care, then having the empathy to help other people. I mean, if you look at just the history of the guests that we've had on this podcast, I would say half of them are people like you who wanted to make a difference and have made it their life's work now as adults to help other kids Mm -hmm. who are in the system or who are aging out. 
Yeah, yeah, I yeah. totally agree with you on that, Dana. I'm just so, you know, I think it's up to people like you and me and, and so many of our other friends who have been on this podcast um, that we really can lift each other up. And by doing that, we can, you know, really start educating. Let me tell you, I don't want this to be the last time that we talk to you. I I just see, I feel like there's something, you know, I've been very lucky Um First of all, having Dana as my co-host, who we've seen so many doors open up um, where we can just become stronger and stronger. Because I truly believe Mm -hmm. that if we work together, we can make change. Um, So if somebody wanted to get a hold of you to see about booking you for a speaking gig, how would they do that? Uh, Yeah, so I have a website. It's uh, galenspeaks.com. So um, my first name, G-A-E-L-I-N, Speaks dot com and then um i'm on all social media platforms so uh the one i probably engage the most with people uh with speaking is probably my instagram um but yes it's and then on my website all my other information is on there as well um so yeah that's that's pretty easy and we'll post that on our podcast page too at comfortcases.org slash podcast. And we'll be sharing this on social media. Oh my so, gosh. Yes. Yeah. You know, Appreciate that. so do you have any um, relationship with any, um, with any foster care agencies that work directly with youth in your area that we might send comfort cases to? Um, not necessarily in our area. And that's the thing, like trying to continue to um, raise awareness, like in my communities, uh, one that I've partnered with, uh, recently was Evolve Adoption Services, um, and they actually do an amazing camp. It's called Umoja, um, which is a camp for foster parents and, like, foster children who have been adopted transracially. Um, and it was it's a phenomenal mission that they're on of um, just really trying to educate people to, like, for the world that they're, they're opening themselves up to when they are adopting and welcoming someone into their family that doesn't have the same life experience as them. And I know you could attest to this, Rob, just with your family situation and background, but uh, yeah, they do great work. And that's, that's when I've partnered with most of Awesome. Well, we definitely should do something. We should figure something out. I, I, like I said, I don't want this to be the last time we talk. I know we follow each other on social media, but I want you and I to have Mm -hmm. a, um, maybe a side table talk after maybe next week or the week after, because I think that there's opportunity here. Um, and what I'm really, really excited about is I, I hear your passion and your voice. And I think that, you know, we as an organization for comfort cases, um, our entire mission has been to inspiring communities to bring dignity and hope to our youth that are in foster care. And I just feel like yes. there's something that we can do that in your area as well. Listen, my friend, I will tell you that this has been one of my top favorite podcasts. I I feel that there's um, there's just something about you that I think that there's some synergy there that you and I still need to connect. And and just to let you know, I do come to Minnesota um, prior to the COVID. Um, I was in Minnesota every other month because I sit on a um, cohorts um, advisory board for an organization that's trying to change the foster care system because God knows we need it to oh, be wow. changed immediately. So we'll definitely keep in touch about that as well. But Dana, as, sure. we, as we wind this down, you know, we always ask our guests a question. And so Dana, what's that question, my friend? If you could change two things about the foster care system, what would they be? Yeah, um, and most like, like most of the answers, um, there are so many more things, and Rob, you allude to this a lot, of the system being shattered, and there's so many more things than two. But um, 
for two that are personal to me, I would say, I think removing the um, you versus me, like system versus parent, like biological parents, removing that divide. I think that's so important. Uh, there's so, at least in my experience, there's such an approach of uh, the system and the parents being on the, being on the different sides and being in opposition to one another. Um, like, so that's personal to me because that goes, that's, that goes into how I got into foster care. Um, my dad actually went to go get help for substance abuse. Um, and when he went to go get help and confided in people about what the, the struggles they were having, they came and take a, took us a couple of weeks after that. Um, and so like removing like the stigma of wanting to get help when you're struggling, because if I feel like you are an enemy as a biological parent, I'm not going to seek out help. I'm going to try to figure it out on my own. And more often than not, that ends in disaster when it comes to uh, people who struggle with substance abuse. So that would be the first one. Um, the second one, and this, this is, I saw this every single home I stayed in, um, the acceptance of like, uh, the acceptance of medic over medicating the youth in foster care. Um, that, that needs to change. Uh, I know for years I was medicated and put on, um, medication to quote unquote change my behavior, uh, to help me focus and, and grow and, and whatever, like just the amount of medication that I was put on that people I stayed with was put on, um, was unbelievable. And the fact that it's just easily accepted, it, they can go to a doctor and say, Oh, like he doesn't pay attention in class. Okay. We'll put him on Ritalin and all these behavior suppressors and things like that. And so, um, it just it doesn't do anything, but, um, make the foster youth a shell of themselves and then makes it easier for foster parents to manipulate and take like control them and the system. And so, um, that was my experience. And, um, I've seen it so many times that those would be the two things that, um, that I would want to change. Those are great answers. They really are. Yeah. And, and I will tell you, you're, you're, you're spot on when it comes to kids who enter the system. Immediately they're labeled and immediately medication is thrown down their throat. Um, yep. Before we ever try to deal with the trauma that they have either experienced or we all know the trauma of them coming into the system. Um, no matter how bad my birth parents were, and, and you know, as I write about it in my book, A Forever Family, it was it was nightmare. It was literally a horror story. Um, it didn't take away from the fact that they were my parents, and that for me mm-hmm. was you know. So nobody dealt with that trauma um, that I experienced, and then the trauma, just like I see so many times. Well, listen, my friend, I am absolutely grateful that you reached out. I am so excited that you know by you just going through some podcasts on Apple that you found us, and mm-hmm. the fact that you have listened to all of our episodes, and now you're a guest. and And like I said, this is not going to be the last time you're on our show because i believe that you have more of a story to tell and more ways to lift people up so dana if people are listening to this and you know one thing we always say is that you know please please share this please write a review and you we can listen on all the platforms are yeah so we are on apple Podcasts. we're also on iHeartRadio. we're on um, google Podcasts, stitcher deezer tune in spotify anywhere you listen to podcasts you should be able to just look for fostering change 
binge. So, you know, every time we leave this episodes, we always want to make sure that we leave the episode with all of us being educated. And you did that, my friend. So thank you. Thank you for being a good human. Listen up, everybody. It's really up to each and every one of us to take care of each other. So again, Dana and I cannot thank you enough for continuing to share and comment on our podcast. I hope everybody has an amazing day and be safe and please wear your mask. Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.